A friendship is one of the most valuable connections that can blossom between people. There's something so special about connecting with someone and enjoying your time with them, whether you only manage to exchange a few texts a week or you consider their place to be a second home. We all love our friends, right? Everyone loves the idea of connecting with someone, enjoying time with them, and having someone who has your back. But friendship doesn't always end well, as most of us know. Especially when you play with drugs and the devil. My name is Brienne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we talk about true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to travel back to 1984 and learn about a young man and murderer named Ricky Casso Jr., who was commonly known by his nickname, The Acid King. In order to do this story any justice, we need to start by addressing the satanic panic. You see, back in the 1980s and 1990s, people were really worried about the uprising of Satanists. You probably know about the rumors that if you play certain rock albums in reverse, you can hear the devil, but this is one anecdote from a very confusing time that does not do justice to the reality of this point in history. People were freaking out. And a big area of focus for this societal meltdown was on satanic ritual abuse. Basically, people believed that there were secret Satanists hiding in plain sight, and that these people wanted to bring the devil a little closer to home. Suddenly, parents, government figures, and communities alike were all seeking out these Satanists who they believed were using human victims to conduct certain rituals. And they believed that the Satanists were predominantly after children. At the heart of this panic was the book Michelle Remembers, which was a book written by a psychiatrist and his patient Michelle. According to these two, Michelle had been trapped in a satanic cult and forced to participate in a bunch of satanic rituals. She claimed that she was tortured, locked in cages, sexually assaulted, and that she experienced multiple human sacrifices. That's pretty heavy stuff, right? The problem here is that there's absolutely no evidence of this. In fact, Michelle's memories were apparently the byproduct of recovered memory therapy, and a part of her recovered memories included God showing up to magically heal all the scars left over from the satanic abuse. So there's a lot to unpack there. Now, this form of therapy has been completely discredited, but at the time, people still kind of believed it. Unfortunately, it led to a wide range of people coming up with false memories in which they were harmed by the people around them, in some cases causing some pretty big problems and disputes. You can actually see a pretty good media example of this in the movie The Fourth Kind, which is actually based on true events, and while I'm not here to debate whether or not all those people actually saw aliens, because they better not have... <laughs> I am going to say that this kind of therapy is problematic, and there's a reason that we don't use it anymore. Hypnosis is often at the root of this kind of therapy, which is part of why it's so controversial. Now, I was surprised to learn in school that hypnosis is a real therapeutic approach. It is something that we still use to this day. 
And while it might not have you barking on the ground like a dog, it can put people in a relaxed and susceptible state, particularly those who are prone to psychosis or suffer from religious delusions. Probing someone for answers about people hurting them can lead to problems, but at the time where Michelle remembers hit shelves, it wasn't exactly a well-known fact that it could be fake, really. As soon as the satanic panic took hold, it brought a bunch of problems and false accusations. Everything from daycare centers that were supposedly converting toddlers to popular music albums were being targeted, and it didn't stop there. Something that really surprised me about the satanic panic was learning that the popular tabletop game Dungeons & Dragons was targeted as well. And yes, I do mean the game from Stranger Things. (laughs) Like most people, I spent the majority of my life thinking of Dungeons & Dragons through the lens that movies presented. It is a bunch of nerds sitting around a table pretending to be Gandalf. Now, as an active Dungeons & Dragons player with a highly skilled warlock named Lith, I can basically confirm that it is exactly that. But the idea that kids pretending to fight dragons and orcs would make them worship the devil just makes absolutely no sense. But then again, nothing else really did about this panic either. Except for one little fact, of course. Some young kids really did decide that Satan and the occult were the way to go. And even worse, some of those kids also did a lot of drugs. Now let's talk about this murder. I'm going to jump straight into what happened so we can spend more time exploring the series of odd events that led up to a body being found in the woods. Trust me with this one, the murder is the least disturbing part of the story. On June 19, 1984, Ricky Casso Jr. went into the woods with his three friends, Gary Lowers, Jimmy Troiano, and Albert Quinones. All roughly 16 and 17 in age, this group of boys was used to heading out and getting into trouble in the woods. On the day in question, they went out and they decided to get high. Really, really high. (laughs) At the time, the boys believed that they were taking mescaline, which is a psychedelic and hallucinogen that you can get from the peyote cactus. Now, peyote and its uses have been explored for thousands of years, and it's sometimes still used during ceremonies by Native Americans, and it's also a somewhat commonly used recreational drug. It can induce a wide range of effects, including mood boosts, distortions in perception, and even psychosis if it's used incorrectly. In this case, the boys believed that they were taking mescaline, but it is believed by police that they were actually taking LSD, which is commonly known as acid. It is chemically made and known to induce delusions for some people, particularly those with complex mental health problems. And to make matters worse, they also smoked several bags of PCP. At some point, an altercation broke out between Ricky and Gary. 
Ricky bit Gary on the neck, and then he proceeded to stab him in the chest upwards of 40 times. He stabbed him in the chest. He stabbed him in the face. It was just a huge, violent attack um, that came out of nowhere in this group of people. At the point where this happened, Ricky had two witnesses. Albert was so high that he could barely process what was happening. And Jimmy, on the other hand, helped Ricky to cover up the body. Though these boys were all together at the time, that wasn't the extent of their group. They were a part of a much larger group of kind of drugged up kids who liked to hang out in the woods, and that is where this story gets even more twisted. After Gary was killed, a lot of people suspected it and knew the rumors about it. And they didn't do anything about it for a long time. The Rolling Stones actually did a full interview with members of the social circle, and it reads exactly like Rant by Chuck Polinuk if you've ever read it. I will link to the interview in the show notes because it really is fascinating, weird stuff. Uh, But basically, it's a disorienting collection of recounts about what everyone remembers surrounding it, and um, the content within it is just horrifying. But I want to go over a few highlights from it. After Gary disappeared, people started asking about him. His mom was looking for him. His friends were wondering about him. Some guy owed him money and thought it was weird that he didn't come to collect it. (laughs) By all accounts, Ricky was having a lot of fun telling people that he killed Gary. Gary had stolen drugs from Ricky, and people seemed to think that he was just kind of being ridiculous and capitalizing on Gary running away to make himself sound tough. Except he was telling the truth. He was actually bragging about the murder. The rumors began to circulate, and before long, Ricky had people going to look at the body rotting in the woods. A little more time passed, and Ricky confided in his friend Rich. Ricky told Rich that he killed Gary one day, and he said, while laughing, that he did it. At the time, Rich just shrugged him off, thought he was being dumb, right? But then Ricky insisted and offered to show him the body. Rich assumed that there was nothing going on. He figured it was a prank. He followed Ricky out into the woods, expecting some kind of dumb gimmick. And as the smell hit him, he knew that something was wrong. He accused Ricky of killing a cat up there or something to cause the smell. And then he saw the body. Gary was on the ground, covered in leaves, decomposing, maggots, bugs. And Rich left immediately. (laughs) But not before Ricky could glow and say, I told you so. Apparently, Ricky later disclosed to Rich that he was worried about home developers in the area finding the body, so he wanted to bury it. He asked Rich to help him. And Rich obviously refused to be directly involved. Um, Instead, he offered him a shovel. He drove him up there. 
and he told him he did not want the shovel back. Ricky buried the body and felt a little bit better, but by this point, police were already onto him. They had heard the rumors about the body too and went investigating. When they found the body, they targeted Albert knowing he was friends with Ricky and Jimmy. According to Albert, the police beat him extensively while demanding answers. And in the end, he told police what his friends did, and then he left. Something that I thought was sad and awful about Albert's recount was him saying basically, you know, they had already killed somebody and covered it up. He was afraid something was going to happen to him next, so... Fair concern, but just crazy that those were his friends. Despite the fact that the Satanic Panic was more of a testament to, like, the rumor mill and religious hysteria than anything, Ricky and his friends did seem to have this very disturbing obsession with Satan. I've been on the internet long enough to know that, in general, Satanists are just people with a different belief system and that there is lots of a focus on evil and more of a focus on aesthetic and the color black and self-empowerment. While I won't pretend to know the greater nuances of Satanism, I do know that it's not about animal sacrifices or bathing in the blood of children. In fact, some Satanists outright dismiss mysticism and the more theatrical renderings of their belief system. But Ricky and his friends were really into the movie-type Satanism. They were holding seances and setting up spooky altars and pretending to be possessed. They were trying to reach Satan in weird and generally childish ways. I don't know if there's an adult way to try and contact Satan, but it all seemed very much age-appropriate for what they were doing. Um, one of the members in their friend group recalled a ritual where they all put their still-burning cigarettes in a cup, and Riggy declared that if there was a fire, it was Satan. And there was a fire, and they all said, oh, Satan's here, Satan has arrived, but somebody had put a piece of paper in the cup... So obviously it just caught fire. Um, but stuff like that was so interesting to me because it sounds so childish. And then you have this horrific murder in the center of all this. But basically these kids watched The Exorcist and they thought, hey, let's try that for whatever reason. And then their interests got darker. Ricky really seemed to believe that the end goal was to reach Satan, and he would often verbally fantasize about dying. Reports stated that when he killed Gary, he commanded Gary to swear that he loved Satan too. But take all this for what you will, given the fact that the primary audience for this murder was a bunch of kids who were high on a crazy chemical cocktail and also working on starting their own satanic cult. And then, of course, there were the drugs. Albert reported not even thinking that the murder was real at the time that it happened. He thought the drugs were just taking him down a dark avenue like he was having a really bad trip. The kids had taken a bunch of PCP along with acid, which seems like a lot, especially for young minds. 
But if you've ever seen one of those videos online where someone exhibits like superhuman strength or seems completely immune to pain, a lot of the time PCP is what causes that. So there's no disputing that these kids weren't in their right minds, but I also don't get the feeling that the drugs alone made it happen. It just seemed like there was a lot going on. After the murder, Ricky claimed that a black crow caught at him to tell him that Satan approved of his actions. And I just feel like there were some other problems that he had going on because of all of this stuff. I don't know. So what happened after all this? And how did Ricky pay for his crime? Well, when police finally found the body, it was because they received an anonymous tip. Someone had heard rumors about Gary's body and its location, and two weeks after the murder, they reported it. Ricky and Jimmy were both arrested after Albert's testimony. And while they were in jail, Ricky announced that he was going to meet Satan himself, and he killed himself before he could be formally charged. Given the fact that Albert was nearly incapacitated by the drugs that he had taken, his testimony about Jimmy's involvement was questioned, and ultimately, Jimmy was acquitted. In the end, there was no justice for Gary, only a long list of people who loved him and wished that he was still around. True crime is inherently terrible and confusing, but I have to admit that this case really threw me. I don't know if it's all the different factors or all the different people involved or how young they were to be involved in such awful stuff, but this was definitely an interesting one to research. The Satanic Panic was a strange period filled with rumors and a lot of irrational fears, but it was also a time where serial killers were gaining more attention and some kids were doing drugs and fantasizing about the devil. A case like this doesn't justify this period of time, but it does show us that some kids are just plain dangerous and we can never truly know what to expect from people. So if you were looking for a chance to talk more about creepy cult cases, or you just want a little bit more true crime content when you're scrolling in your feed, feel free to connect with me on Twitter or Instagram using the tag at datpod. And of course, if you want to get rid of those pesky ads in your good true crime space, you can always become a patron at patreon.com slash like and inscribe. Thanks, guys. 